0: Man, I I just sat over in the front row here and sat down and just closed my eyes and just listened. And, um, man, that was powerful. So thank you, team, and and thank you for worshiping with us. Well, my name is Brad. I'm lead pastor and one of the teaching pastors here at Crossbridge. And we are in week four of this series we're doing called Big Church. And in just a few weeks, we're going to look at the most important event that has ever happened in church history. And honestly, it's the most important event that's happened in history, period. And so we thought, what a better time to go through what happened after that event, (laughs) before the event. And so we've just been walking through the book of Acts. And I think it just gives us a great perspective of what God was planning, what God had in store for us after the resurrection. What We're going to celebrate coming up this Easter, but I, I, it's so important to understand you know, what was launched and, and, and what happened and why we, we are actually here. And this movement, this, this, this whole thing of this resurrection of Jesus it was the basis, it's a cornerstone. It is what our foundation of our faith is. It's what we come down, if we boil it all down, it all comes down to Jesus was exactly who he said he was, the Messiah, that he lived, that he was crucified, and he rose again and because of that act, we can have eternal life by having, trust, trusting in him and putting our faith in that act. And, and the church has been, man, for 2,000 years, this, this entity, this movement, this thing has been happening. And, and no matter how much we've tried to mess it up, it keeps growing and it keeps moving and it keeps changing lives. And, and it's because Jesus said he was going to build his church. And that's actually where I want to start today. I want to come back to the very beginning, just kind of catch us all up before we get into our story for today. And here is Jesus with his disciples, with the apostles, and and all kinds of things are happening around him, and and he he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? He wants to know what the word on the street is, what is going on out there, what what are people saying? And he honestly gets all kinds of weird responses. The disciples say, you know, some people think you're Elijah, some people think you're John the Baptist, who was weird because he just was executed not too long ago, you know. All these stories of who Jesus really was, and then Jesus kind of corners them. And he asks a very difficult question. He asks a question that, honestly, each one and every one of us have to wrestle the ground sometime. And he looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers. We're going to pick it up here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. It says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replies, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus says, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build this church. And this word church was not a religious word. You know, in, in, in our culture and, and today, you know, you think church, you ask anybody and they're going to put religion to it. There's no question about that. But in this day, it was nothing more than assembly. It was nothing more than a gathering of people. And Jesus says, I am going to build this, this ecclesia, this brand new thing. It's the first time that the word church has even come up in all of scripture. And maybe if you grew up in the Catholic tradition, you, you hear this and you say, oh yeah, Peter was our first pope and, and he, that's what the church was founded on. And others would say, you know, no, it's the, it's the confession that Peter makes, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was who he said he was. And then later in Scripture, we actually hear that, that Jesus was the cornerstone, that he is the foundation, that he is the one who is the, the start of this whole thing that we know as church, this movement that's changing lives to this day. And Jesus says, I'm going to build it, and nothing's going to stop it. No matter how much we try to mess it up, no matter how much we screw it up, Jesus is going to build his church. And it's this tiny word, this ecclesia, which is a fascinating word search if you want to go in and actually start researching some of that. And, and uh, it, it's just amazing how we kind of convoluted that that whole word. But this thing is about a movement. It's not about a building. It's not about a time that we meet. It's about the basis of our foundation. It's the cornerstone of, of what it is, is that this Jesus was the Messiah that he did live, that he was crucified, and he did rise, rise again from the tomb to set us all free. That's what it is all about. It's the foundation. It's the gospel that we know, the good news. And we talked about how at the crucifixion, you know, this movement, it looked like it was done, that the disciples had scattered. They denied Jesus. They thought this is over. We did not see this whole thing going this way. And, and so they went into hiding, and shortly after that, they see the resurrected Jesus, and it is game on. It changes them totally. Everything is different for them. And they go to the very same people. You know, the Holy Spirit has poured out on them, and, they, and, and the church is starting to grow. Thousands of people are starting to follow them. And, and the Sadducees who, and the Pharisees who had Jesus actually killed, crucified, they stand in front of them and they say, you are the ones who did it. Man, this Jesus is risen. He is the Messiah knowing that their lives are at risk, but they had so much boldness, which what Jordan talked about the first couple of weeks. They had this boldness in them because they saw the resurrected Jesus. And then Paul, as we talked about last week, came on the scene. He started persecuting the church. He wanted to stop this whole The Way, this Jesus movement, if he possibly could. And then he ends up meeting this Jesus, and his life is transformed, and he goes out starting all these churches. He's one of the biggest advocates, and he goes out to the Gentiles, which to us doesn't mean too much. But, man, these, these first century readers, if they would have seen this and they would have, you would have talked about that, that God is going to the Gentiles, they would have been aghast. They would say, what are you talking about? But there's this natural progression that is starting to happen that God is starting to do. Because, see, Israel was a set-apart nation. They were, they were special in God's eyes. He, he, he set them apart to, 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 to set this whole thing up. They thought they were special. They thought they were better than ever. They were the chosen ones. And so they actually started looking down at other people. They actually believed that because of their birthright, because of Abraham, that, that they had this special anointing that they, they, had, they were going to be all right with God just because they were born a Jew. And that's the basis. That's the underlying thing that we're looking at. And, and that is so important today as we look at some Scripture later on. I want you to remember that, is that these Jewish people thought just because of their birthright of Abraham they were going to be okay with God, that they were going to be, be, be all right, okay? And so that's, that's, that's the background of everything that's happening today. So, so there's these Jews who were actually just, you know, any descendant of the first 12 tribes of Israel. They were set apart. They were chosen. And then the Gentiles were everybody else, including us, unless you happen to be from one of the 12 tribes of Israel, then you're a Jew also. But, but here we are. You know, we are Gentiles, and because of, of, of that that progression that God said no we're going to include everybody in this story we're going to include everybody in the gospel and so Gentiles just means simply means non-jewish and the gentiles were different from the jews they had a totally different lifestyle they they ate differently they they dressed differently they worshiped differently everything they did they they ate different different foods and what their architecture was different they couldn't be any more different than the jews and, and the Jews, again, at this time thought, you know, we are God's chosen people. And these, and these Gentiles, they, they worshiped differently. They worshiped the fertility gods. There was all kinds of sexual immorality going on. They, they loved politics. It was big for them, and philosophy, all these things they, they kept talking about. They followed Greek and Roman mythology, all these other gods. And so they were just so much different than what, than, <clears throat> than what the Jews were that the Jews actually classified them as unclean. They could not be around them. They couldn't associate with them. They wanted to separate themselves from them. They actually called them dogs. And it wasn't your cute little, you know, labradoodles or whatever designer dog you may have. You know, it was was these trash eating in the back alley kind of dogs. It was a very derogatory term. They called them the uncircumcised, which means you are not part of us. You are not one of the chosen ones. You are different than what we are. And that's the backdrop of our story today. There was all kinds of prejudice in this culture. There was all kinds of sexism in this culture. There was classism in this culture. There was racism in this culture. And here was this brand new movement, the church, these followers of Jesus trying to navigate everything in this, in this scenario, in this culture they were. And I would say, say that we are still navigating that very same thing today. So we're going to jump into the story. We're 10 to 12 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter is in Joppa. It's by the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful place. And and he goes up to the rooftop, which is very normal in that day. He goes up to the rooftop to pray. And and there's sea breezes coming in. It's probably just a a very relaxing time. and And Peter goes into a trance. And we pick up Acts chapter 10, verse 11. It says this, he, Peter, saw the sky open. And something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And Peter would have looked at this and said, "This you know, I am not allowed to touch any of these things. I am not allowed to kill any of these things. I'm not allowed to hunt any of these things. And God forbid, I'm not allowed to eat any of these things that I am looking at. And verse 13, Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. And Peter is at a crossroads. This is not how he was raised. This is not how he was brought up. This is is totally foreign to him. He can't believe what he is hearing. He can't believe what he is seeing. Verse 14, no, Lord Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. Your law says that I can't eat these. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go back. I've I've been been so good lately, you know, on my diet, so I'm not going to eat these things. But the voice spoke again. And says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? And he's left with this. Well, the story has actually been unfolding even before this because there's a Roman centurion in Caesarea by the name of Cornelius. And an angel comes and visits him before Peter has this dream. And he says, Cornelius, you know, you're a God-fearing man, and you need to hear the gospel, so I want you to send some people to go get Peter. And so that is happening all <laughs> behind us. And so God is up to something. God is, is, is doing something amazing here. He's about to break down some barriers. He's about to break down some walls that exist in this culture. He is starting the, the process of reconciliation between the Gentiles and the Jews, which would have been unheard of at that time. And the thing that's fascinating to me is how he's starting this reconciliation. It's all about starting relationships. It's over actually foods in in, in some degree. Having conversations at meals. He's going to start repairing this this chasm that exists between these two people by conversation, by relationships. And it really shouldn't surprise us because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus in his life, as, as he was living his life, man, he... He, he, he crossed all kinds of barriers. He crossed all kinds of social stuff that he never should have. That's honestly one of the reasons why he got crucified. The Pharisees couldn't stand what he was doing, the people, kind of people he was going to meet with. Jesus so he's picking his inner circle, his 12. He goes to Matthew, a tax collector who was despised and hated in their culture. And he tells Matthew, come, follow me. But it gets worse. He tells Matthew, go get some of your friends, go get some of your other tax collector buddies, and we're going to have a party at your house. And he goes and he meets with them. And no one can understand why is Jesus meeting with these kind of people. He does the same thing with Zacchaeus. He has a meal with a, with, that has a prostitute that, that's there. And these religious leaders these religious leaders, saying, no, 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 you can't do this. But God is already starting the process of this reconciliation. And I think it's fascinating that this is all done over food, that Peter gets this, gets this vision because... I think God knows that there's something special about breaking bread with each other. There's something special about having someone over and having a meal. Even if you don't see the eye -eye on things, that you can sit down in that kind of setting, in that kind of conversation where temperatures are are lowered a little bit, and you can hear someone's heart, even if it's different than yours. And you start having these conversations, and you start hearing where they're coming from. You start seeing maybe their perspective a little different, and you get to share yours. And again, the walls and the barriers start breaking down. I guess in your relationships, maybe in your, when you were dating before you were married, you, you, you went out to a meal so you could get to know each other a little bit better. To see kind of how you ticked, how, how you thought about certain things, how you process different things. It's amazing what, what those kind of environments do in relationship that we get to, to, to have these conversations. And typically it's over food, which I really enjoy. You know? So here's God starting to do something. And, and right after this vision... Peter gets some of his men and says, yep, we're going to go see Cornelius. And so they head off to Caesarea. We pick up the story in Acts 10, 24. It says, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. This house is packed, okay? And he knows Peter is coming, and he's going to hear the gospel. He's going to hear what God is doing. So they didn't have access like, like everybody else did. And so he's, they're anticipating this. So all their friends are here, and listen to this. Verse 25, as Peter entered his home. Can you believe it? It doesn't really mean anything to us, does it? First century Jews reading this would have said, no way. There is not possible. Not Peter. I mean, the Peter that walked with Jesus, who walked on water. He is not going to enter the home of a Gentile. It's just not going to happen. It's shocking. They're aghast. They're appalled at what is about to happen. Verse 28 says this. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Basically what he's saying is, yesterday I thought you were impure and unclean and I could not come into your house and I can't associate with you. Good riddance. But today, it's all changed, okay? It's not a great way to to greet somebody. So I came without objection. As soon as I went, as soon as I was sent for, now tell me why you sent me. I would have been ceremonially defiled. I would have been unclean any other time, but God has shown me this, and so here I am. What is it you want to know? So he starts this process of telling him about the foundation of the gospel, of the things that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And Cornelius had, had, tells Peter that you know this angel came and said I was supposed to send send you so you can tell me all of this. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Then down to verse 39, and we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him." Isn't that interesting? They sat down still in relationship, in conversation. "'We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify, tell the story that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. They're talking about the foundation, that this Jesus was the Messiah, that he actually lived, that we saw him crucified, we saw him put in a tomb, and he was dead, but after the, on the third day that he arose and he appeared to us, and by believing in him, we can have eternal life. That's the gospel. That is the foundation of everything we know. And for the Jews at this time, it wasn't about, it, it was so mind-boggling that it wasn't about the law anymore. They didn't have to necessarily jump through hoops. And I had to ask myself, what if we always started there, that if the actual foundation of what we believe, of, of how we live our lives, of how we treat other people is the foundation of this Jesus, of what he came to do. And see, I think we've tried even in the church and, and, and we've let all this other stuff kind of creep in that, that becomes important. And, you know, whether it be communion or baptism or how we do certain things and, and it gets in the ways and, and those have become sometimes more important. Not that those things aren't important and we can't have talk about those and we need to have discussions of why we do this and understand all these things. But what if we started, what if we got back to the point of this thing is about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that he came to take all of the things we've ever done wrong, everything we ever will do wrong and paid the penalty for them. This resurrected Jesus is the foundation of our faith. What would happen If we as a church, universal church, got back to the most important thing there was, Jesus. and Those in the house, Cornelius and all his family, they're so excited and they accept and they trust in in Jesus. Uh, Listen to what happens. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of a Gentile and even ate with them, they said. This bias is so hard to overcome. Understand, this is 10 to 12 years after the resurrection of Jesus, and there's still all this classism, there's still all this racism, there's still all this stuff going on in this culture, that even the believers are struggling with them. And Peter tells this story, verse 15, As I began to speak, Peter continued, The Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us, the Holy Spirit, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I to stand in God's way? And I have read this verse, I don't know how many times, but when I was studying and preparing for this message, and I read that, who am I to stand in God's way? It just wrecked me. And I wondered how many times I have stood in someone's way of seeing this God that loves them enough to send Jesus to die for them. Are we standing in God's way? Here's the beautiful thing about this in verse 18. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. They've had a heart change. Their pride has melted away. Their arrogance has gone. Them thinking that they are better than others, that they are the chosen ones, Is starting to fade away, and they get it, but they continue to battle for it. It happens a little bit later in Acts, the same thing. There's still some tension of, oh, what about this? What about that? Do they need to be circumcised? All kinds of stuff is still happening, but the barriers and the walls are starting to come down between these two people that could not see eye to eye. They could not be more different, that God is in the process of reconciliation, Paul reiterates, again, in a church he plants in Galatia as he writes to them. Here's what he says, and this is an amazing verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, that's the basis. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes, saying that there's something brand new when we Start following Jesus. When we make Jesus the center of our lives, our lives are transformed. We live differently. We act differently. We love differently. We see things differently. We see things through God's eyes, not our own eyes. And he goes on. This is amazing. Verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. No longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The unity that he's talking about here. That there is no differences. There's no more more chasm in race. There's no more chasm in in sex. There's no more chasm in anything that we are all one in Christ. We are all following the same Jesus. That that we're not looked down upon. We're We're not seen as different than anybody else. It was radical in this generation for him to say this. It says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You remember back when, when the Jews were saying, you know, we have the birthright. We are, we are the chosen. We are the ones who are going to make it because we are descendants of Abraham. And God now is saying because of the new covenant, because of the death of Jesus, we're all descendants of Abraham. We're all one. We don't look alike. We're going to argue about some stuff. But we're all one in Jesus You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you and us. God's promises belong to us, us Gentiles. It's absolutely incredible what God has done. The reconciliation process that has happened because of the blood on the cross. And you would think that after 2,000 years that we would understand that but we continue to struggle and we struggle with denominational differences and we struggle with all kinds of different groups we we struggle with prejudice we still struggle with sexism we still struggle with with classes and we still struggle with race to this day and i want you to hear me and and i'm not going to get into the phrase of all this stuff there's all kinds of discussions we can have, and I'm willing to have, but I want you to understand, as a Jesus follower, there is no room for any of it in our lives, period. We are one. And the culture wants to divide us. The culture wants us to pick a side. And the side we're going to stand on, the side we're going to pick is a resurrected Jesus because the tomb is empty, and we are all one. One. And we're going to live together. We're going to work together. We're going to challenge each other. We're not going to agree on everything. And we're going to just do whatever we can to live in unity the way Jesus has asked us to do. The reconciliation process God began, we must continue to do. And there has been some instances over the the course that we, Crossbridge, have come up against some things and, and we have not always gotten it right, but we are always going back to the basis of what does Jesus say? How does Jesus love? What are we going to do in relationship to heal ourselves, to reconcile everyone? I'm going to ask Betsy Beers, one of our elders to come on, on stage. And and we're just going to have a little bit of a conversation as we wrap up today. And, uh, our last elder, elder meeting, we went around the room, kind of asked how everybody was doing, and and for prayer and things like that. And, and Betsy just shared some things that were going on in her life, and in in the school district that she's in. And and uh, it kind of took me by surprise because I had actually been on vacation when all this kind of went down, and I was a little bit shocked. But it was just, um, I saw her broken heart and. And I said, "This would just be great to share sometime." so you kind of give us a in general at least what we 're kind of talking about and, and what 's happened." Yes.
1: like, I am in no way an expert on social injustice. I don't pretend to be, but I am a high school teacher here in Fort Wayne at a local school district that's very diverse. And so every day I am surrounded by students of various races, of various backgrounds, ethnicities, experiences, cultures. Um, And so that's my, that's the perspective that I have. So recently, there was an act of racism at, um, at, from, by a student at a different high school that caused a lot of protests and um, outrage, I guess I would say, at my school. And so what happened was the students at my school were very upset because they saw this act of racism as just another um, act of racism against a person of color, and this person was just going to get away with it. And so they were very upset. And so they had decided to, the students at my school decided to stage protests for two days in a row. Um, So that's kind of the basics. So then what ended up happening was on the first day, they decided to have these protests. They lasted about, the first day was about three hours, I think, or maybe a little bit less than that. And... Um, for the most part, the students were very um, civilized and effective in sharing. They just wanted to, their goal was to just draw attention to this act of racism in our community. Um, while this was happening on the first day, there was, of course, we I mean, were dealing with teenagers, so there was a lot of chaos in the hallways for some of those students who were not being um, civilized and effective, and so they were running in the hallways and doing things in the bathroom and stuff like that. So then that was the first day. Then the second day they decided to do protests again. And it was a little bit shorter. This one lasted about an hour and they didn't allow the students that had caused all the, pro- the, uh, the problems, the chaos that first day, they did not allow them to join the protest in the second day. But for both of these protests, there, there were district administrators and school administrators and I think even advocates in the community that were there to receive these kids and just talk to them and have peaceful conversations. Um, So for those of us that were back in the classroom, there was a lot of anxiety because we didn't know what was going on. We couldn't really hear anything. Well, we could hear stuff, but we couldn't really see what was going on. So there was just some unease, I guess, during those days. Um, And then since then, they have started a, a group at my school called Be The Change. And it's made up of students, about 35 students and um, some school administrators who really want to have, continue the conversation. And they're planning on meeting about once a week right now to see how they can talk with, like, local advocates and people who um, just to figure out how to bring change in our community. Yeah,
0: I so. love that. Can you give us a, a sense of, as you talk to students and, and things, of, of <clears throat> what they were saying, how they were feeling, what was going on?
1: Yeah. Um, they were feeling, the students at my school are just feeling unheard. They're frustrated that racism is continuing to happen in our community, Um the interesting thing, though, is that they're, they're saying that the students at my school are saying they're not really experiencing racism within our school, it's, but they are experiencing it in the community. And that's really where they want to see change in our community. Yeah.
0: Um, so how did you personally come alongside uh, some of these students and, and what was happening?
1: Um are you gonna throw questions at me that you've not asked before?
0: No, that that, that I was. That, that's I'm just letting you know not to do a, that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not yet, but I may. Depends on what you say.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So, as a teacher at a public high school, my I believe my job is to listen and to support and to provide a safe space for teenagers. And you have to do that. You have to build relationships before um, you can teach them anything. So if I try to go in to my school with this white woman savior attitude that I'm gonna save everyone because I'm a white woman, that I'm not gonna reach anyone, no one's gonna listen. And I can't, um, I can't even really share my beliefs or opinions, I can, but if I can create the space for them to listen, or if I can be, listen and create a space for them to talk and to share and I can provide support, then that's where, um, that's where they're gonna find change, I think.
0: Yeah. And- yeah this is a question that's not on here. <laughs> um, some of the things that you talked about that you know this is a specific situation of racism but there's also other yeah. other groups and things yeah. that you have been dealing with really for quite some, yeah. some time
1: yeah and I think I mean there is racism against people of color people of color but there's also um, just racism against all people groups different people who identify with different genders um, different backgrounds and I think one thing that God has really shown me as a teacher in this public school is that every single person has a unique um, story. Everybody has a unique background. We have unique experiences, unique cultures, religions. Uh, There's a unique socioeconomic class for everybody. And all people groups are experiencing racism, not just people of color. And so when students that I come into contact with every day see an adult who's not listening or not willing to um, let them talk or share, That's not helping anything. And so, and one thing that I do teach my students is if we are going to, in order for us to learn from each other, you have to have all of us from all of our unique perspectives, you know, all of those different backgrounds and um, even just experiences. Um, Did I answer that question? Yeah, I
0: I love that. And and it goes down to, it's one thing I've always loved when you were sharing these stories is that it is about relationship. It is about conversation, because I think sometimes we just want to blast out, hey, here's the answer, you know, mm-hmm. instead of getting into to, to what they're dealing with and things like mm-hmm. that and understanding their perspective. Yeah. And again, we may not agree with it or right. and, or even understand it, but we're there to, to be sympathetic. So last question, how, how can we as a church, how can we individually come alongside students and people that yeah. are feeling...
1: I think that the first step is to just be aware that racism is occurring in our community. Just, I mean, just because you might not experience it in your everyday doesn't mean that it's only happening someplace far, far away. It's happening right here. And for for us to help or for us to just, to just listen and be supportive and be aware and not to try to force your opinions or your beliefs or we are not gonna have all the answers. And I think one thing that I have noticed, uh, well, I've noticed a lot of things, but if we are not willing to, um, as adults, to listen to this next generation, this is a completely different generation of adolescents that's coming up here. And if we're not willing to be there for them and to support them and to hear them and to just just be there for them, they're going to find support elsewhere. They are growing up in social media. They're going to find somebody that will agree with them somewhere. And so if we in our local community aren't going to be those people that are going to be there for them, then they're going to go elsewhere. And
0: yeah, I, that can I, be scary. I, I love that. And, and it's, it's a tough place to navigate right now. You know, our youth groups, our, our children, stay and I, I love that. And, and, again, breaking down the barriers, breaking down the walls, having conversations mm-hmm. in relationship. we. Yeah. That's what we stand on here. I just want to give you a couple more scripture verses that just I think are, are amazing and gives us a basis of, of where we need to be. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. And even inside the church now, There's turmoil. And, 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 there, and there's stuff happening inside the church that, that we're grading on each other. And, and the, the important things have gone to the bottom. And, and, and all these other things have surfaced to the top and, and it's dividing us. And culture wants us to be divided. And we as a church cannot be divided. Jesus himself prays to, for his disciples. And here's his prayer in John chapter 17 says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That's us, okay? Pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us. Why? So that the world will believe you sent me. People are watching us. The followers of Jesus us as a church, to see how we're going to step in, how we're going to handle, how we're going to love in these trying, difficult culture wars that we are in today. And it all starts with the foundation of this Jesus who lived, who was crucified, and who rose again and who loves you more than you can imagine. If we start there in our conversations, you're going to be amazed what God is going to do. Let me pray for all of us. Father God, I thank you for Betsy and what she does and all the other teachers and administrators and principals and other people that that we have here. God, I pray that you give them courage. I pray that you give them boldness. I pray that you would help them to know how to navigate um, this culture that we find ourselves in. But Father, I pray for each and every one of us and and us as a church that, God, that we will just see people the way you see them that you would help us break down the barriers and, and the walls that exist between us and, and our differences. God, I just pray that, that we will continue the work of reconciliation just like you started clear back with Peter and the Gentiles. That is us. We need to be known as a people who love well, who listen well, and who reconcile well. Just make us that, God, for your glory. It's in the amazing name of Jesus that we pray.